0: Production. The following episode of Fofop is rated M-A. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild course language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deek speaking. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Charlie Clausen and this is part of our summer series where it's a best of compilation from all the guests we had on Fofop in 2022 all the way back to last year. That's right. It was a year ago. Well, not quite. We just plucked the best ones. Uh, First up is a faux-fop Faux regular, Justin Hamilton. That's right. It's an episode of Hamofop. Uh, Justin came on the show to talk to Will, and they had an interesting conversation about how Justin reminds Will of George Costanza. Take it away, Will and Justin. So I've been doing these uh, support spots
1: for Hard Quiz Live with Gleason, yes. and they're fun, as you can imagine. They're
2: very fun shows. Yeah, I haven't. look, I mean, I haven't seen the show, but I've talked to him about the show and what the show is and so I've got a bit of a sense of it but I haven't seen it
1: it's great it's really great you get you get uh, I do support for for this run there's a little break he does like 20 minutes of stand-up which is great and then it's the show And it's, you know, it's really fun. And, you know, we did the Enmore Theatre. You know what the Enmore's like. Weirdly, 1,600 people feels like you're performing to 300. It's really intimate. Mm -hmm. That's fun. So we've been at Chatswood. So anyway, last night I go out, do the gig. Really fun. Feeling great about myself. And I go backstage and uh, some friends of ours who were there come back and we're having a chat and my mate's wife says to me "Oh, as soon as you walked out I turned around to Nick and when we saw you and I said Larry David and I was devastated because people might not know this but you have had this secret (laughs) plan for decades to try and turn me into your George Costanza and I had only just read three days ago that Jason Alexander had a point where he realized Costanza was based on Larry David. And I'm here to tell you, Jerry, I'm not happy.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I could not be more into this. I know. As you, as you would imagine. Because my great love of Seinfeld is... And again, I'm not saying you are George Costanza. There are just elements of George right. Costanza's personality that if you were drawing Venn diagrams... Yeah. Like, it's I one imagine... of the reasons I keep fit, so d- despite right. <laughs> your desire for me to become Costanza. Yeah, I mean, I would like you to lean into the Costanza of it all, and you refuse to do I that, refuse. which is the only thing. You refuse, Will. You refuse. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> oh, so, so the idea, So, for people who don't know, I assume that most people do know, but for people who don't know, because apparently Jason Alexander didn't know early he on, didn't which know. was that uh, Jerry Seinfeld, the character of Jerry Seinfeld on the TV show Seinfeld is based on the person, Jerry Seinfeld. The character of George Costanza is based on the other creator of Seinfeld, Larry David, who just wasn't in the show, but is now the star of his own show, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And yeah. you can see from Curb, What elements of his personality were like? I, here's what I will say I think I would still like to hang out more with George Costanza. Than I would with Larry David. Right, <laughs> I right. feel like I feel like a bit of Larry, of course. Like it's it's the essential essence that's in there. Yeah. But there is something about what J- Jason Alexander brought to Larry David's personality that yeah. makes it a little bit more palatable to me. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like, uh, do I really want to have the Colombian yeah. Coke or do I want to have the stuff that's been cut up a little bit? And I will yeah, eventually I'd, get the like-
2: sleep. Exactly. I don't want to. <laughs> Larry, you feel like. 're You do you yeah, you know you do you boo i 'm into it, yeah, but you know what? I like this guy 's version of you
1: yeah <laughs> it 's a bit better, yeah,, so you can imagine when they told me that last night in, in like in a split second, uh, I was like, "Ah, oh, what a bummer, and will 's going to be thrilled
2: <laughs> oh my god it 's so funny, I mean, I would love to see a curb your enthusiast, not that that is that, that aspect of larry david 's life, which is the you know, getting caught in these incredibly awkward, politically incorrect situations is not really what I identify. Yeah. The essential elements of this character in you. It's more the... Overreacting, like, yeah. The yeah. overreacting and yeah. the obsession with like minutiae, in, yeah. Interesting details of things, yeah. or so, like just you know, yeah. That, I think that's more what it is, yeah. But you
1: know, I've got to thank you. I do 120 push ups a day, and it's all yeah. to make sure I don't get that little rotund body
2: <laughs> that you are hoping for. I mean, you can at any stage, though. That's the great news is like, like it right. just because it's not happening now doesn't mean it can't still happen. Yeah. I mean, if I wait long enough, it'll happen. (laughs) Like, it happens to everybody. Unless you become one of those... No. Like, speaking of Seinfeld, unless you become one of those Lloyd Bridget's old right. old school exercise types. Yeah, I'll
1: be one of those uh, guys that uh, yes. at 60 will look 75 because I've just got no uh, moisture in my body from yeah. all the working no out fat. that I do. None of the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice None of the things skin. that you
2: actually know. Just wrinkle, just pure wrinkle. Wrinkles. But at least I'm thin. Look at him. At least yeah. I'm thin,
1: Jerry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And there you have it, another hamophop in the books. Uh, this next clip is one of my favorite people to talk to. He's been on Fop Faux Faux a couple of times, and uh, he's even done Two Guys, One Cup. He even did our summer series, which is available now on the Listener App, and that is Auntie Donna's Broden Kelly. We had a long chat about sleepovers and the fact uh, of uh, that I told him that I once broke up with someone in my sleep. I have a tendency to talk in my sleep and sleepwalk, and in this particular instance, I – was dating a girl and broke up with her in my sleep but i won't spoil it i'll let charlie of the past tell the story in his next clip which we don't have a title for take it away me i broke up with a girl in my sleep once i'm a big sleep talker sleep talker and sleep walker and i remember really dating this girl yeah years ago we're doing a play together um she was one of the actors in the show and we sort of it wasn't like a you know official but you know sometimes you do a Like you you get together, we're together, we're together. That's what I'm saying. But in my, I know the
3: theatre world is a very special place, Charlie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for long lasting relationships that (laughs) last as long as the run of the show. But I remember in my head, I was like, "Oh, this is like the show's coming to an end. We're gonna, you know, I'm gonna have to sort of like, you know, I think I'm I'm not really into this. I'm gonna have to like be honest with her and and end it." But I was just thinking that. But then I stayed over at her place one night, and I woke up, and she was hitting me. Wow! <laughs> and she was like, "If that's how you feel, then get out." And I was like, "What?" And she said, "You wanted to break up. You told me you want to break up." And I was like, "Oh, my bloody subconscious! <laughs> like, what did call- she? What did you actually say?" Well, I think I told her that I wanted to break up. That I didn't, you know, that probably what I was thinking in my head, which is I was going to have to say, "It's not you, it's me." Look, I'm not really looking for a long term thing right now. Um, blah blah blah. I don't. I don't think I did it rudely. I think I just. I honestly just had yeah. a subconscious moment. But um, I only woke up for her reaction. I, don't, I have no memory of the actual breakup. Wow! But and did she know ways, you were asleep? No, she thought I was. She thought I had woken her up in the middle of the night to break up with her, which is a very justified reaction, like her
3: belting. But because in that moment you had the, you had the option of going, no, I was asleep. You know, and I dreamt I was fucking a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> or you could just go with it.
0: with it. Yeah. Well, I just kind of, I actually, I think I was just trying to get my wits about me because it was such a shock. And she was literally like pushing me out, throwing clothes at me, like the whole thing. And yeah. I remember sort of like pausing and I was about to backtrack. And I was like, wait, but like, this is what you want. And you've actually got <laughs> the worst part of breaking up with someone is actually. You know, initiating that conversation. And so I had got through the hard part. I just had to endure a few more, you know, minutes of being yelled at. And um, like, yeah, we actually smoothed things over, you know, the next time we saw yeah. each other. It was okay. I think it was more she could understand why I had woken her up Fucking in yeah. the middle of the night to break up with her.
3: That's it. Cause that you are right. Anytime a hard conversations are hard to instigate, that is the hardest part. Yeah. Maybe that's a thing you could bring into your life that, you know, if you need to fire someone, You know, like, yeah, you just bring them over for a sleepover, have a little sleepover (laughs) party, hop into bed, and then we'll sort this out in the
0: morning. I mean, but how long does that work before (coughs) word starts to spread that if Charlie's inviting you over for a sleepover, (laughs) he's got some bad
3: news to deliver? Pretty quickly, pretty quickly.
0: (laughs) Can you have sleepovers as an adult these days? Like, can you...
3: You've, they've got it. They've got to be more of a uh, planned. Like they've got, or, or they've just got to be. You know what? Just stay at mine. Yeah. You know. Uh, you yeah, can, yeah. You know. I, I miss sleepovers. They were the best thing ever. Yeah. Um.
0: My daughter's you know, just you- started having sleepovers. She's uh she's almost three, and so she's had friends come stay over. And I've got to say. It is awesome. Like to, to witness it yeah. from the outside, we never knew what we had, Broden. Like sleepovers are the best because there's normally oh, totally. something special attached to it. Like maybe you're getting pizza that night, Yeah, get to stay up a bit later and watch a movie. And then there's just the sheer thrill of knowing you're meant to be in bed but not. Like I could yeah. hear them giggling and I'd have to go in and be like, I know you too, like, you know, back in the bed. <laughs> yeah. And it was like playing all the dad role. But I, could, but I was like really feeding off their joy of like hearing the little footsteps get out of bed and running around and giggling and trying to like stay quiet.
3: Yeah, that's great. Can I ask you, as because yeah. as a parent, yeah. do you change your level of cool? Like, do you change oh, your like? Do you try and impress the other eight-year-old, uh, <laughs>
0: eight-year-old, three-year-old, mate? Yeah, okay, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Not do even you... that even hard to impress. Yeah, I, I totally. I want to be cool, Dad. Um, even to the point of like. Um, throwing my kid under the bus <laughs> in order to win the favour of her friend. You know what Iona did the other day? You know, and that's a little funny story about her.
3: Because, like, you know, when you're a kid and you see your parents put on different faces and masks and characters for the, like your dad's, when he's around his friends, is all of a sudden, the you know, Mr. Tradie or whatever. And mm, I remember like when you. my mum, I remember when I was a kid, like when my mum was around someone and I was misbehaving, she would start saying shit like, Broden, we talked about this, remember? We're not going to do that. You never fucking had any. (laughs) Fuck you.
0: (laughs) Don't have those airs and graces on now, Mum. Yeah, exactly. I remember hearing my mum swear for the first time because she was having drinks with friends and I guess she was trying to impress them by, you know, it was something like, oh, what Bob Hawke did was bullshit. And I was like, <laughs> mom, you know, but even the way the words coming out of her mouth seems so unnatural. Like she put a separation between bull and shit. Like it didn't flow naturally at all.
3: <laughs> talking about conversations that you had when you were a kid with me, I have this very vivid memory and I don't remember the reason for it. I don't understand why I was there, but I was about five years old. And I was sitting at a dinner table with all my parents and their friends. And I remember we were talking about, Trevor Marmalade on the footy show and and why he's not getting to do enough jokes. <laughs> I'm five, and I'm just remember this comment and me going, yeah, I would wish he did more I wish he got the chance to do more jokes, but Sammy and Eddie Maguire, <laughs> they don't let him do as many jokes as he used to. It's a vivid memory in my head. How many in your family where do you where do you rank I'm number one child of two Okay, and, uh, right yeah.
0: And so was that like a common thing where the family would sit around and critique Australian comedians, beloved Australian comedians?
3: <laughs> well, see, this is I, I, if if there were, then I don't remember. This is the one that my brain has decided to keep <laughs> and cherish. Is a dinner party in 1996 where we talked through Trevor Marmalade's role on the Footy Show. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of core shit.
0: I mean, but I disagree with five-year-old you. I think uh, Trevor Marmalag was given ample opportunity to slip his jokes in. What was the? What was your particular? I guess
3: it must have been at a period in that show's journey where they were, you know, more concerned with giving with uh, doing blackface or whatever they were doing. Like he just at that period of the season, Trevor wasn't getting enough jokes in.
0: How's that? Broke up with her in my sleep. I highly recommend it if you're in a difficult relationship, something that you're not really feeling and you want to get out of, but you don't want to. You don't want to have the guilt. Talk in your sleep. Break up with them that way. That would be my recommendation. Uh, this next clip, we're going back to Will, chatting to musician Ben Lee, who is now back in Oz and doing some great stuff online and with music. He's even DJing now as a DJ Dad Bod. Um, but Will and Ben had a deep discussion about creativity, particularly Ben's musical creativity in a post-pandemic era. So here's Ben Lee and Will. It's interesting
2: to me everything that you say always, to be honest, but like I'm super interested in this idea of uh, art, as cult or community, particularly coming out of this pandemic. And I'm already seeing it. My, my, my good, my big hope, my nice hope for this was that there was going to be a whole lot of people if they were doing the same thing as I was doing, which was to just, you know, I, I had a joke where, you know, people said, oh yeah, I binged this TV show, you know, during the pandemic. And I'm like, oh, that's fun. I binged every single decision <laughs> I've made in my entire life. That's what I did with the two years. And it, it, it because I, did I examined what my art was and why it existed and what role it played in my life and what role I wanted it to play in my life if I got the opportunity to do it again and I could only imagine that there were like thousands of artists all over the world having those same conversations with themselves and in my world you've already seen some of the uh, things that have come out of that I mean Bo Burnham's inside to me is something that was an artist going okay I'm in this time I am an artist how do I use my particular skills and an artist to do something that is absolutely reflective of this time and in a time when particularly with the pandemic I'm hearing from like book publishers and like tv writers and movie people that they're all just ignoring it that you know, nobody wants to you know see people in masks no one wants to hear pandemic stories and oh
4: yeah that's true like I did a thing on like SBS the other day like a tv show and there was some joke that was meant to be connected, you know, whatever Catch My Disease role in this together, and the mandate that came from above was no mention of the pandemic. So, yeah. It, and,
2: and yeah. well, to me, that's that is weird. I find that weird because I think as artists... Like particularly of artists our age, we've never really been through anything like unless we were in New York when nine eleven happened, you know like there's not really been that major significant oh fuck, life is really fucking hard that every other generation has lived through. This is our one like we're we're in it now. I get the impression we're gonna have a few more before we're done, but uh, you know, this was our first really big one, and the idea is that as an artist, you would not. Like, I don't mean that you have to speak directly to it, but I just mean that it would not majorly influence whatever decision it is that you make with your art. So tell me, you've, you like, so you've like put together a new album during... This time. So, talk to me about where you're at as an artist, like how the pandemic affected where you were at as an artist. Like, did it accelerate anything? Did it change anything? Was there like a U turn on anything that you were like, where, where's your head at, like making a creative thing right now? Well,
4: well, just something that came to mind though, that I want to touch on that you just said was I think the, the conflict that we have as a culture in terms of creating stuff that deals with this reality of the pandemic is that you know like Virginia Woolf talked about like we can only speak about something accurately once it's over and the real conflict we're dealing with conceptually is this battle between um, people that want to believe the pandemic's over and people who don't because because we're still in it it's actually yeah. hard, and knowing that there's a, a time lag in how we turn things around. Like, I thought um, Curb Your Enthusiasm was interesting when they decided they were going to deal with the, the you know, the guy who was hoarding um, the Purell. But the problem with that was, there was by the time that episode came out, we actually knew more about the virus being airborne, and it didn't land in the same way it would have when that episode was... Filmed when it seemed like, and also there was enough purell to go around. That was a; those were moments, brief moments of like a cultural thing. And so I I understand the difficulty of being in something and not wanting to create something that gets dated. Um, But that's really. Proof to the fact that we're still in it, because if it was over, we'd be able to make it, make content about it that was like consistent and didn't risk being didn't risk aging badly. But isn't
2: there something also, I mean, I get what you're saying with curb your enthusiasm. good good, good example of something that's just more about a topical thing that dated really badly. But surely there are consistent themes that have been released to us, whether they be around like our contact with other people or the idea of loneliness or misinformation or like, you know, vaccine hesitancy or belief in science or any of these things that have been more meta themes of the pandemic rather than like, you know, people who wear their masks the wrong way or whatever else it is. Isn't there something about who we are as humans that has been... Like, isn't there this, like, festering wound of humanity that is just, like, the scab has been picked and we've all been able to see just how raw and messy and fragile and all those things that it is?
4: Yeah, but do you think... I mean, I I sort of except for like rare occasions with like bob dylan or um run the jewels or like there's certain <laughs> things that have like a protest song type thing that's very topical um i don't really look for art to speak directly and like um literally to my experiences i i do think the themes i know that the way i'm Consuming the, the work that I'm listening to as a fan or the shows I'm watching, they are by nature speaking to my needs in this present moment, and my yeah. needs are shaped by the experiences I've been through. So I think um, work that's about frustration and th- th- I do think there's a vulnerability. I think part of, like, if you look at comedy, I think um, Gerard Carmichael's uh, special, um, Raphael, while it wasn't at all about the pandemic, there was a sense of an accelerated need to be honest and connect yeah. authentically with the audience. And that was about sexuality, which you could go, well, what does that have to do with the last few years? But I think that people are feeling... the people, Most people I know are feeling a, a rush to... A, a greater sense of urgency to live in their truth... Regardless of if it's actually true or not, I ag- you know? so I agree. <laughs> like, so yeah. I
2: agree with that. Like, so the, I guess that's uh, maybe even what I was getting to in a in a clumsy way is this idea of I think there's a sense of if this is the last time that I had something to say what is it that I would want to say? Because the idea that it could be the last gig you do or the last album you release or whatever becomes more of a reality in these times than it ever has felt like before. If this is the last opportunity that you have to say something, or maybe I'm completely, you know, misinterpreting it when it comes to you. But if this is the last opportunity you have to say, what what do you say? What is it that you're trying to communicate as an artist? So Gerard's special is a really good example. Like he clearly had this truth about who he is that he hadn't necessarily admitted to the wider audience world and he's like okay well you know what you know this is something that I don't want to let be have left unsaid and I think at the moment particularly if you're of our age and we've just gone through what we've gone through you start to think what haven't I said yet that is really important for me to to say I know okay that I know that's what I've been thinking that's what my show was this year was what do I really want to say you know um uh Gary Goldman always says that like write the show that you would want to go and see, and I think this year for the first time ever, I really just wrote a show that I would like to sit in the audience and watch. And so
4: that's awesome.
2: So what about you? Uh, like when you like you know look at the art that you're making and what you're trying to do right now, what is it that you haven't said, or at least what is it that you're trying to say?
4: This is going to sound maybe contradictory or paradoxical, but the impending sense of doom and the tenuous sort of grasp on stability that has kind of been really revealed within a capitalist (laughs) democracy, (laughs) you know, Um, uh, all of it, um, instead of making me want to be heavy and want to, like, like, I'm obviously like any smart person in my 40s, you know, obsessed with following what's happening with climate change, what's happening with, you know, backsliding democracies and all of that. But I've kind of leaned into my sense of play even further, because I've realized that I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I think um, when you're young, you like we all harbor not all of us, but those of us that are like to get up on a stage probably and have like you know um, delusional fantasies of the level of our own importance in the world or the potential for that <laughs> we like the idea. That we're gonna be part of um, a solution uh. to problems, you know, like we're gonna be whether it's like a Neo Matrix thing of like you know we are the one that's been waiting, you know, like that that like as an artist you like conjure that like prophetic type thing of like I'm gonna deliver the work uh. that's, you know, and um, as I've gotten older, what I've realized. I think part of what my actual gift is, as opposed to the gift I wanted to have, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a big part of what maturing actually is, is that like I'm actually pretty good at creating an atmosphere Mm -hmm. for people. Um, And that, like I've had that from the very beginning of my career, people saying that um, the way I did what I do was almost more important yep. than the thing I was doing. Yeah. So, like, when I was 14, I got signed not because I'd made the best. Like, if you, it's interesting. If you look at, like, me and Daniel Johns are very dissimilar in a lot yeah. of ways. And it's funny, we both started at the same time with quite some similarities in our narrative. He made something that was exceptional, yeah. the actual thing. Like, when you listen back to Silverchair, they, they played with a precision and a... Um, a technical ability yeah. that was so far beyond their years it was like they made a thing that was impressive if, if I never you, did, yeah if you yeah. heard
2: it and you didn't know they yes. were kids you wouldn't know they were kids
4: I still can't play that tight with a band as they played when they were 14 I just can't I don't have it in mm-hmm. me you know so I didn't do that what I did I proceeded with an attitude that inspired people you know so what I realized is that like my best bet for making like a real contribution to the world is not that I'm gonna be the guy that comes up with the idea of how to do it, but that I might create the atmosphere through a song through a gig through whatever where someone else has a good idea Mm, (laughs) because i've (laughs) given them a little bit of courage i've given them a bit of playfulness because like it's very hard to come up with good solutions to things in life if you're really stressed Mm -hmm. and i think if you're feeling brave and feeling playful and feeling open which is kind of like the space i try and create that's a really good problem solving space so I just realized that like doubling down on my sense of playfulness was actually possibly the biggest contribution I could make at a time of absolute cosmic stress.
0: Two very funny, interesting guys. But of course, you knew that already because you've probably listened to every episode of Fop. And if you have, thank you very much for that. Just one last clip before I get out of your hair. Uh, We do a regular segment on Fofop called The Video Store where I get a film critic and film expert, really, Guy Davis, to come on the show. And we talk about uh, uh, various uh, films under themed episodes like, you know, uh, films that have great fight scenes or, you know, films where the soundtrack was better than the film itself. And that is exactly what we're talking about in this clip. Films that had a song Or a single that came from the film that was more popular than the film itself. And in this instance, we're talking about the mid 90s classic Mortal Kombat. And I say classic in inverted commas because I was of this era when the film came out. Like I am a 90s kid. And it was garbage when it came out. And it was garbage for a number of years. And then something happened where you millennials out there adopted it. Readopted Mortal Kombat and with some kind of affection. You treat it like some kind of camp classic, which it is not. But what is a classic is the theme song, um, the techno syndrome from the movie Mortal Kombat. And so Guy and I get into that in this clip right here. Take it away, me and Guy. I often would put on movies that I did I could I could half watch. Yeah. And so if they had sort of like good music, good soundtrack or whatever, that was always good. And there was one movie that always kind of stood out, not for the soundjack, but for one song. So if I was to go, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Mortal i minute- always thought the song was called um, uh, uh, Mortal Kombat. Do you know what Kombat. it's actually called? <laughs> it's called, Techno syndrome or something. Techno syndrome from Mortal Kombat. (laughs) I had no idea. But this was in an era, like, you got to remember kids in the 90s, (laughs) like, when sort of dance music and techno was still fairly underground, house music was still fairly underground. Like, it was, there was an era sort of like from 91 to 95 where every, like, like the basketball or any kind of like, you know, a trailer would have, would have like a like some version of that. Like, I always yeah. think of um, it's the two unlimited song, you know, the one that, yeah, like, that, that that one I, that's what I tend to think of.
5: Yeah. The title is not Get Ready for This, but everyone calls it Get Ready for This.
0: Other <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
5: buddy who calls it the Space Jam song because it's just the, it's the song from Space Jam. <laughs> But that's exactly it. But when when you listed Techno Syndrome yesterday, I just
0: immediately had to go to YouTube and put it on and just crank it because It's, it's funny because it's cheesy, right? Like it, it it seems like the cheapest fucking, you know, tie in like let's just bang out this this techno song probably wouldn't have been, <laughs> been that expensive to record. But it's actually a decent song like it has stood the test, test of time. I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen the new Mortal Kombat, but I imagine there would have been some kind of homage to that they had to like some kind of remix or something like did um what's his face uh, Skrillex come in and, and do some kind of cover or something <laughs> I think
5: everyone was waiting for the whole movie for like this is Mortal Kombat you've got to do s- at least a remix at least some kind of homage because this was the uh, sort of the dark nightification of Mortal Kombat. It's like, no, no we're going to take it a bit seriously. Josh Lawson, to his credit, um, just went full Aussie swagger bogan as Kano, yeah. which was hilarious. Uh, but I think at some stage you finally heard Mortal Kombat and everyone was yes. like, yes, finally. finally. <laughs> because the the Mortal Kombat movie, the 1995 one directed by Paul W. Sanderson...
0: Is junk, mm. but wonderful yeah. junk. You know, it's. I, I mean, yeah, in, 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 it's, they, uh, they still really haven't cracked the kind of video game like formula. They've put more money into it, but this wasn't. But, like, mm. if you're talking about a like for like, like, this is the kind of experience. It's less violent than the video games in, in a weird way, but it is definitely <laughs> kind of. It's sort of like before before the era of cosplay, I guess. You know, young nerds wanted yes. to see these things that they, they're interested in, video games and comic book characters. It was a pretty good like-for-like. Like. like seeing Sub-Zero and, and, and Scorpion on screen was pretty good for a young nerd.
5: Absolutely. I mean, look, as someone who basically threw hundreds of dollars worth of 20-cent pieces into a Mortal Kombat machine back in the 90s. It was uh, yeah, great to see those characters larger than life and beating the hell out of one another. I mean, even with really ropey early 90s CG effects. Uh, but I think when people think of that movie, they yeah, genuinely think of Mortal Kombat! Mortal Kombat! <laughs> Just, I don't think we were using the term
0: "banger" back in the '90s, but yeah. that is a genuine, oh, that, that's banger. a good term. I mean, any film from the '90s where your lead, like the, your bankable leading man, is Christopher Lambert, like that's a <laughs> sir. Like a Frenchman playing, like isn't Raiden Asian? I'm pretty sure he's meant to be Asian, right? Like, I believe so. Yeah. He's got the big sort of the rice field hat on. But I mean, uh, Christopher Lambert, like what a fucking career. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like playing a, a Frenchman who played an immortal Scott and then what, 10 years later, <laughs> he's a Frenchman <laughs> playing like a vaguely Asian superpowered like mentor or something, right. the Obi-Wan role.
5: <laughs> uh, and just doing the, uh, the infamous Christopher Lambert. he's such a weird actor such a weird actor i'd I'd need to revisit greystoke because
0: uh it's been a long long time since i've seen it and i remember it's just weird though like it's kind of like they took it's the equivalent of taking who's the brother from um get out you know he was in nitram um oh caleb landry jones yeah, he's he's awesome. It's the equivalent of making Khaled Landry Jones a leading man. Like Christopher <laughs> Lambert should have been a character actor. Mm-hmm. He's got that real sloping, heavy brow, that thick weird accent, that kind of creepy stare. They tried to make him a leading man when he was a character actor the whole time. That, it, he's sort of strangely beautiful.
5: I mean he's got a bit of a brand- <laughs> <laughs> to, to <laughs> which their own Charlie. <laughs> but okay. But he's That's got sort of a brand I wish right. look about him, but you're right. It's I think as we were saying on our, uh, you know, creepy character actors thing, from certain angles, it's like, gosh, you're handsome. From another angle, oh, my God, you're terrifying. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Mortal Kombat 1995, fun movie, absolutely, but Mortal Kombat, a.k.a. Techno Syndrome, the song, banger for the ages.
0: And that's another compilation episode in the bag. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, don't forget, you can go to ToeFop.com to check out all our other great podcasts. We're doing best of ToeFops as well, if that's something that you're into. Um, and I should also let you know that we are doing a Two Guys, One Cup Summer Series, my club, where I sit down and chat with various celebrities about the teams that they support. The clubs they love and sometimes hate. That is the subtitle of the show. So you can find that on the listener app. I would love it if you could give it a listen. Um, But we will be back next week with some more highlights from Fofop. So for now, I'm Charlie Clawson.